2: my name is Pete Becky. I'm an associate pastor for Christway Community Church in Pleasantville, Ohio. I am joined today, as usual, with or by Pastor Josh Kugel, who is the pastor at First Baptist Church of Lyman in Gulfport, Mississippi, and by Pastor Don McDonald, known as PMac or Pastor Mac. He is the pastor of Danforth Reformed Church in Danforth, Illinois. And we've been sitting here talking off mic for just a few minutes saying, well, what would be an interesting discussion? And we came up with the idea of how has church leadership changed over the past 30 years? I think we're using 30 years as kind of a, a, a guide because we've all been in church for about that long, maybe in leadership. Don, I think you've been there the longest. You said 31, wasn't it?
1: Well, yeah, because I started in another church when I was ordained, so right. it's about 31 years.
2: Right, and from the time I first was starting the process of being working in churches and then getting ordained, I was ordained 23 years ago. I was a uh, licensed minister for about five years before that, so I think it's uh, about 28 years for me. And Josh, you're probably a little bit less than that, you said? I think 18. 18, okay. He's and what did? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Well, if, if if people were looking at us as we can see each other on the Zoom meeting, they'd see he's the youngest looking of all of us. I think. So. Yeah. Yeah. No, and I'm not that young. So. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we're all we're all. I think our oldest kids are all graduated college, and you know I'm a grand. No, grand- no, 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 no. no. Don's a grand. Oh, no, Wait, my oldest have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Your oldest yeah. have. Okay, yeah, yeah. So you have a couple who haven't yet. Is what it is. I have one high schooler left. Okay. She's uh, okay. eleventh grade. Okay. Well. Okay. So that gives people an idea about how how old we are, and um, we've seen things change. We've seen some things stay the same over the over the past thirty years. Um, and the idea was, well, what what has changed in church leadership in general over the past thirty years? And I know it's really easy to kind of talk about what's changed over the past two or three years with the whole, you know pandemic and stuff. But I'm I'm, I'm kind of sick of talking about the pandemic and using that as an excuse for things, honestly. Yeah. Um, you know, because there, there were a lot of things that had changed before that. I mean, I think we can talk about how the pandemic got a lot of church attendance to drop a whole lot and things like that. But even before that, um, we were kind of talking off mic right before we started about certain things that were going on Um, when we didn't want to make it look like church attendance was dropping. Um, Is that the kind of thing you were thinking about, Josh, when we were talking about that or what? Say it again, exactly. I said you and I were kind of talking about off off mic earlier when you were talking about how church attendance was dropping, but they wouldn't let us, you know, take the full number, drop out. Is that the kind of thing we're talking about with this leadership thing?
0: Yeah, I just, I I think a lot of that is... um... We look for different metrics because the metrics used to be real easy. There wasn't online. There wasn't, uh, you know, um, the church attendance statistics have changed over, la- you know, you used to be a regular attender if you were there, what, four times a month. <laughs> right. And, and now you're a regular attender if you're there maybe every other month or, or something like that. And so they're trying to say, well, if we're calling this a regular attender, we really shouldn't count the way we used to. And so um, I don't know. Um, I, I do wonder, I, I asked you guys before, you guys have always counted your your uh weekly attendance. Is that correct?
1: Oh yeah. We have in Danforth for well, I want to say we started maybe 20 years ago to get more serious about it. And, and and I think when it relates to you know leadership leadership, it there there's always been to me a rub of how much of our denominational leadership is pastoral and how much of our denominational leadership is CEO business?
0: Bean counters.
1: Bean counters. You yeah. have
0: a lot, we have beans in our church apparently too.
1: Uh, I, obviously, you know, very much so. And and to me that it about, oh man, yeah, I am showing my age about 25, 26 years ago, easily there was a push amongst denominational people that the leadership should think more in business models
0: mm.
1: and but less in shepherd models. Less, think,
0: in, you know. Would you agree with me that 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 has ultimately shown to be a failure?
1: I I feel that it. The, the question that I always got from Christ Church of Oakbrook, with that leadership that I grew up in, was this. Are we as leaders showing a way in which those who are members of the church can own the vision? Mm. So it was more about casting a vision, serving one another, rather than this is what's expected from you. Here's a list of things and accomplishments. Even if you didn't own the vision, because the pastor was the pastor, the chairman of the board, shall we say, we were supposed to do it, even though we didn't agree. And and that model to me, you know, over over the years that I've looked at it, I'm in concurrent with you, Josh, that it has failed because it lost the ability to have empathy for those whom you're serving.
0: Yeah. I, I remember sitting in board meetings for years and somebody would always say every month or two, church needs to be run like a business. And for a while I wouldn't speak up. And then I finally just started to, and I said, no, it doesn't. Um, the church is a church separate from any business on the planet. Um, and while there may be some best practices that are mirrored in the business world, or maybe we should even adopt in the church, we always have to remember that we could have incredible numbers and still be missing our, 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 uh, our purpose. Um, mm-hmm. and so, but, but let me, let me bring it back just a little bit. I've found in my own career, in my own ministry career that I'm happiest I feel the most complete as a pastor when our numbers are good, and knowing that our numbers are bad has has always given me a, a pit in my stomach, I'm not really happy about my job kind of feel. Um, have Has numbers, has keeping numbers been a, a uh, and numbers being the number of heads in the sanctuary on a Sunday morning, and I used to be, Part of and and, uh, Pete and I were part of the same denomination for a few years. I still love that denomination, but one of the things you're required to do is you're required to take a count of the people in church on Sunday morning. That goes with you to your district assembly once a year, where it is reported to every pastor and every person in attendance, and taken from that district assembly and put in a uh, worldwide database that anyone can go online and search for your church and see every year of your district or, or of your weekly attendance. Now, what it did for me is I was able to look and compare myself directly with every pastor that came before me. And since I left, I compare myself with every pastor that came after me. And each one of us was reduced to a number for a year as to how successful we were for that year in and in a trend up or down as to how successful we were as a pastor. And it drove me crazy, made me hate my job on so many occasions. I don't know if you guys feel the same way or not. Don, you've been in your place for a long time. So numbers may be a different. It, and, and they also don't take into account all the cultural things going on, no. how your city's changing. If there's a family in your church that just went crazy and drew five other families out a year, they don't take any of that into account. They reduce everything you did to a, a single number.
1: Well, and and I think, leadership you know those that have been over me over the years when they number crunch they're not and this has always been a rub for us in small town rural america they number crunch contrasting us to a chicago suburb rather than understanding there there's there's a built-in understanding in chicago now, this is probably an old stat. I have not checked it out in a while. That there, Within three years, there's always a turnover of 5 to 10% in the Chicago area. Mm-hmm. So even if you change in the church, even if you lose that, then in theory, because the new one's coming in, it will cover the loss. And your numbers will return back to they were and probably even better. Well, we don't turn over that much down here and and so to have leadership not listen to us doing the ceo model we found ourselves more disconnected because of the lack of shepherding and wanting we always said hear our context first before you make a decision on whether we should do what you think would make the church better so me- it, it 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 was always that tension of your Chicago suburb leadership saying, but we know what we're doing and you in rural America have to. So it, it was more of a CEO. This is what you do rather than a shepherd understanding where you're coming from.
2: And let me just share this for our listeners who may be tuning in for the first time. We don't know that um, Don, when you were talking about Christ church of Oakbrook, that is a Chicago suburb kind of very affluent place. And that was a large church At its time. Place where you are, where you are now, which is a country <laughs> church, where isn't the, the population of the whole town is, what, 500? 650. Like <laughs> 650. You guys didn't
0: get internet until this year, did you?
1: It feels like it.
2: <laughs> yeah. yeah, but still, I mean, so that's there's a big difference in the way things are done there. I just wanted our, our listeners to be able to, to understand where you were coming from on that. And getting back to Josh, what you were talking about with the numbers and, and the reporting, the numbers and stuff. I have notoriously been, and I'm not complaining, a pastor of a small church my whole career. And it's, it's kind of where I grew up. It's kind of where I got saved, kind of where I got introduced into ministry, got called into ministry. Um, and there's just a different dynamic with smaller churches than there is in larger churches. I mean, I remember one time going to a, uh, a uh, seminar that, you know we, we have to do our continuing education and all this stuff and I was in this seminar and the the presenter was up in front talking about this particular type of thing I don't even remember what it was he says now if you're in some of the smaller churches this might not work as well um, so like if you're if you're only running 200 or something this might be, i mean I'm running 20 you know uh and you know how, how small did I feel that um and so I know exactly what you're talking about Josh, and and how
0: small did everybody in a church of 200 that had thought, wow, we've really arrived, feel all of a sudden Yeah, yeah. yeah,
2: well, that that was the thing. is It was kind of funny the, because... The,
0: the average church in America is 70, something like that?
2: Yeah, I think that's about right, last I had heard. And then the funny thing was that when I first got into church ministry, before I was actually called into preaching ministry, I was in youth ministry, Uh going back to the year 1984... And at that time, I was in a Lutheran congregation that between the two services in the morning, it had, I can't remember what times 9 o'clock and 1030 or whatever, between the two services averaged about 200 people. And we thought of ourselves, it was kind of a more of a rural congregation, kind of like where Don is, maybe not quite as rural because it was a little less farm. We were the county seat of the county. But um, there were about 200 people going there. And we always thought of ourselves as this little church and I remember we talked to the the person who was probably kind of like Tom Rainer is today his name was Lyle Schaller back then and Lyle Schaller said as he was talking to our church at this, this thing he had set up to actually talk just with our church he says you have to understand that at 200 people you are in the top 80 percent of churches as far mm-hmm. as numbers now we never even realized that mm-hmm. um, so I think sometimes it has to do with how how you're perceiving yourselves but to get back to has that changed again that was 1984 has that changed today is that part of the way leadership looks at things today
0: yeah yeah i i think uh, and one of the reasons i talk about numbers is i think we orient ourselves around numbers as a church um the programs that we're going to enter are are numbers driven um and i think one of the main reasons that we don't do uh um uh, a call like to a sinner's prayer or a response at the end of church is because we don't see the numbers that we used to do. We used to see at the end of service as well. We are, I, and I, I don't mean this in the wrong way, but we are so, and people my age, people a little older, maybe people just younger, depending on what kind of church you grew up in, there's no way to look at your church right now and compare it to the church you grew up in. For most people, I think, and say that we're as excited as we were back then we're as committed as we were back then we're seeing the number of people come to jesus as we were back then and i think that we've adjusted rather than aimed for um if you know what i mean now culture has changed too i was i've I've been doing over the summer we've talked a lot about evangelism on wednesday nights in our church and um I was playing a video by some, some guy just as an intro to the the message that, that night. And he said, um, um, there, there are two kinds of event. Well, we always think of that evangelism, like harvesting, like we need to go out there and, and convert people. Like I'm going to go out and meet all these people that I'm talking to, and I'm going to say the sinner's prayer with them right away. But he said, a lot of times you have to work the fields and, you know, he's, because, uh, and, and somebody down the road, maybe two or three years is going to be the one that harvests that, or at least that, that leads them to Jesus. And he says, the time now that you need to work the fields with somebody is much longer than it used to be. And the reason is, is because they don't know the gospel anymore, like they used to. They don't know Bible stories anymore. They don't know, uh, they don't have any of the cultural Christianity that we used to have growing up. And so you really have to get them, work with them till they get to a point where they even understand what they're doing when they ask Jesus to come into their heart. Um, So our culture has changed too. Um, So, but I think um, our church services are are night and day different. I think somebody from the eighties and seventies, if they would walk into a church today, and if you dismiss the music and everything else and all all those kind of changes, I think they would say this is a church without power. This is a church that doesn't believe like we used to. This does is a church that doesn't want to change their culture like we used to. And I'm just going to be honest. Um, I think it's it's one of the frustrating things about our older members is they remember church from when they were kids, and and we've and and we'll say you know there's all these excuses, and COVID has become another excuse. But we just I don't know. It is frustrating today, but I want all the things from my past that I saw in church. But we do live in a different culture where that may not be possible. Um, so we're it's it's a difficult time for ministry. I, I honestly think in America this may be the most difficult. If you take out like, you know, used to be threat of gun violence and all this kind of stuff, I think this is one of the most difficult to navigate times for ministry. When you take out, when you add in all the sexual things going on, when you add in the the prevalency of divorce and living with each other outside of marriage, when you add in the the fact that many, many Christian people are watching their young family members walk away from faith and all. This is a very difficult time to navigate ministry Um, and then throw numbers in. (laughs) and <laughs>
1: well and and i think you know cuz we're talking about leadership there's always a part of me with leadership that says are you patient enough with us as we try to navigate through all these choppy waters you know there are some churches that are extremely successful in in navigating but you know if i've got a church of 152 years you know, it takes time to sort of turn the bow in a new direction. You know, um, this is going to sound weird, but I got to say it this way. For me, COVID was a blessing because we actually changed our paradigm of evangelism more towards the 2000s than the 1980s and 90s. You know, we were more prevalent on social media like we should be because that's the new mode of communication. Has our leadership caught up with that? I don't think so. I, I don't. I, I, I sense our leadership is sort of like, well, we're in charge of everything. But yeah, that's where we are, you know. And and I think that's one of my frustrations I've had over the years, dealing with leadership is they're not totally attuned to the amount of change. We're looking at Josh. I, I agree with you 110%. You know, from when I came into ministry to now, the amount of challenges have like tripled. And it, it's, you know, it's sort of like, okay, leadership, what do you think we should do here? And, and yeah. a lot of it is just get a guitar in there and that will solve the problem.
0: Along you know? with that, along with that challenge, we don't have the the amount of lay leadership and the quality of lay leadership yep. we used to have either. Um, which just makes it, but, but I will say that there was a lot more judgy people back in the eight seventies and (laughs) eighties and, and people, people are a lot more gracious in churches today um, when they're there. I don't know if that has a lot to do with the changes and everything too. So it's not all good and bad, but. um, I think
2: that if we're talking leadership per se, I mean, we, we kind of, we kind of started this talking leadership in the church. So, I mean, I think that can go pastoral that can go to denominational leadership they can go to district leadership whatever however the different churches um, you know ha- have names for that um, we, we live in our society today and again here we go back to society where it seems that so much emphasis has been placed even in the church on um, for instance this is just a for instance this is not all-inclusive Um, higher education even within the church so the the people who get the higher degrees tend to be the ones that get the higher positions the higher uh, callings in the church as far as you know larger churches um, district or denominational leaderships Um, you know you don't really see a pastor of a church of 50 get called to be the district superintendent or leader or or whatever um, you know, Don, I, I'm going to use you as an example. You've probably had some um, district, or I don't think you call it district, but within your denomination, you've had some leadership uh, uh, opportunities that I was actually surprised to hear that they gave you because your churches are so small. And that's not a knock on you. I think no, it's it something that, that your leadership within your denomination has been wise to be able to realize that there are a lot of churches that are in your kind of position.
1: Well, you know, with the way the RCA is going, a lot of the bigger churches are leaving and forming their own networks. So your smaller churches are the ones that have to step up to fill in all the voids. Um, and, and, you know, one of the things that we had happened, oh man, about 20 Yeah, 15, 20 years ago was our church was stable. I mean, our numbers were not, we weren't exploding, but we weren't shrinking. And we had, you know, leadership come in and basically say, since you're stable, you're dying. And, you know, we're like, have you, you know, this is CEO. you think every one of them wish they could go back to that? Oh, how about it? Well, (laughs) and, and what happened was probably five to eight years ago they started to look at us little churches going, wait a minute, the stable ones are the only ones that are really doing ministry when you lose the bigger churches. you know, So all of a sudden we became crown jewels. We went from being coal to crown jewels of the RCA. Um, there was a recognition of the value of, of, of persevering, of staying connected. That wasn't there in earlier leadership so that there has been, I I don't want to say all leadership in the life of the church is bad. But what I do want to say is we've had leadership in the church that has an inability to adjust to the times fast enough, you know, where, you know, where, where we are. And that's, that's a blessing I have being in a small church you know when, when we had to crank and burn and get online because we were small we could do it and my leadership was very accepting of it um, which was amazing and a blessing all in one because everybody was stuck at home preach we need we need we need church in home you know um, and so my leadership if anything I'll say of Danforth which I have especially in the last maybe 15 20 years Leadership has to adapt fast. You can't hold on to old paradigms. And if you don't, you're in trouble. And, and I think that's something where, you know, we talk about the bean counters and sometimes our bean counters are the ones that don't understand. Dude, it's time for a paradigm shift and you can't wait for a book to be written. Do you, do you
0: think, um, let me just, be, um, this, is, this may be a little off topic. You think the call to ministry, the call to be a pastor was intended to include all of this business knowledge and business acumen and business, uh, you know, uh, the ability to make changes quickly based on, you know, reading graphs and all this stuff. Do you think that was part of God's intent when he placed a call on people's lives to be pastors?
1: Doesn't the book of Romans say he gave some to be administrators, some to be pastors, some to be teachers you know, and somehow the poor pastor
0: has to be a business person
1: has to be an administrator as well as a pastor
0: and you look at you look at the most successful pastors they've all got very very type a yeah out there personalities they're all most of them are introverts, which is kind of weird, which means that they're putting a show on most of the time, which I don't want to suggest that about anybody but you are, but they also you, you look at them and they all are the kind of people that make the right decisions at exactly the right time they take the right risks at exactly the right time
1: and i don't know how i don't know i know when dr i don't know Criter- that that's a gospel thing right when dr de Kreider talked about christ church of Brook, cuz christ church of Oakbrook was started like 64 65 1964 1965 um, way ahead of the curve of church planting before church planting was church planting yeah and he, somebody asked the question, how did you make Christ Church of Brook happen? And he said, I didn't. He says, I happened to be at the right place at the right time when God needed somebody to step up and preach the word and be in scripture. Because in the mid-60s, free love was going on. In the mid-60s, talk about cultural shifts.
0: Was was he a business guy too, though?
1: No, he was actually out of. Uh, he was Christian. No, no,
0: I mean, I mean, his wiring and all. His
1: wiring definitely was. His okay. wiring definitely was. He was okay. CEO when they did the bylaws of Christ Church, It's basically himself and about six guys that ran Christchurch of Oakbrook. Hmm. Now, mind you, when I left to go to college, it was a church of twenty five hundred. When I came back, it was a church of nearly four thousand. I mean, radical growth and. I mean, so, it,
0: it makes me wonder: Are the best pastors those that are called to be administrators? I mean, and I don't mean best by by most godly. I mean in in the standards of large church or small church.
2: Well, maybe maybe what they're doing, Josh, is actually using the biblical standard from the, the Book of First Corinthians, as, as Don kind of alluded to. Some being pastors, administrators. I think that's also the Book of Romans. Um, using the body of Christ rather than being a single, you know, head person at at the table. Yeah. Um, you know, Dr. DeCryder couldn't have run that church by himself, Don. Um, whereas, you know, we all need leaders. We all talk about needing leaders, even in the smaller church. Yeah, but,
0: but Pete, when, when you were, when you were pastoring, and I just think of the churches I knew, um, how, how much of your job was more, was, was less, was less a a ministry kind of preach the word kind of how much of what you did was deacon work and and that kind of stuff when you talk about from scripture we need the people to preach the word to preach the word we need all these how, how much of your job was the stuff they took away from those original pastors and 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 was administration and advertising and uh you know all this other stuff How how much
2: Oh, yeah, I would say I would say that because it was a small church, many of those tasks fell to me as the pastor. Yeah. Um, and, and that's I think what I'm saying is the smaller churches, you almost have to have all those different things. I don't want to say be an expert, but you have to be able to do all those different things, whether we like it or not. In the United yeah. States, we the church, we say the church is not a business, but you know, according to the IRS, it is. Yeah. You know? and, and we have to follow those laws, even though we don't want to necessarily run it like a business, like a for-profit situation. But, you know, there are tax laws, there are employee laws, there are things that have to be done. Yeah. And, you know, so I think that there's a whole lot of different things that that have to happen. And part of it, as we've talked about a little bit, has been cultural. Yeah. Um, but then you also have people who are gifted. But let me, let me take it one other direction here quick, because we we're talking about specifically over the last 30 years. And I just wrote down some notes quickly while you guys were talking. I've seen it go from the emphasis being church growth, and these might not all be in the right order. But church growth. Another one was being seeker friendly. Mm-hmm. Another one was being church planting. Another one was being go out of the building and be the church. And and now
0: and now we're back to campus.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
0: It's, it's, yeah.
2: And that's what I'm saying is things keep changing and and. And I don't and, know if it's because he, of the leaders
0: or what. Is, is, is The reason they're changing is because we, we reorient everything, at least I think, we reorient everything in the church to this one manner. And it does really, really well for a while. And then we find out it has flaws. Mm-hmm. Um, Bill Hybels would say, would say uh, he's had all this stuff happen. But he was a, the author, I think, of the seeker movement. Um, and after a few years of it, he said, whoa, we made a mistake because we made everything really, really, really shallow. And there needs to be more than that. But the damage was done and a lot of churches went away from models that, that, that were very deep into we need to be as attractive as possible. Can you imagine if Jesus only wanted a church that was just doing things that were fun so that the community would want to be a part of and completely neglected making a deep faith for the people that were, were, were already saved people in love with Jesus, so that all they would ever have was a was a was a shallow end of the pool level faith. And I, I me, I almost wonder if we're seeing as we see a lot of young people that are, are walking away from Christianity. I almost wonder if that's a direct uh, uh, a direct response to us saying it's way more important to get new people in church than to teach the people that God has already brought to our church how to be deep committed knowledgeable Christian people. And so we've got a whole, these huge mega churches out there. And I, I don't know that they may be correcting. And I, I never want to cast shade at a mega church or anything like that. But you have all these people out there with they're very shallow. Very, and, and as soon as life gets difficult or culture throws a curveball at them, they're like, whoa, we weren't prepared for that. Maybe our faith isn't really,
2: I don't know. Well, I think the church is oftentimes reactive rather than proactive. Yeah. Uh, we, we react to what is the culture doing today, and then we try to gear our programs. We're also very program-oriented these years. We were less program-oriented, I think, 30 years ago than we are now. Um, and, and maybe we're getting a little bit away from that, uh, just a touch. I'm not sure, mm-hmm. but um, it just seems that... The that,
0: future is uh, multi-campus ministry for right now. Right,
2: that's another one. And I was going to say, the other one is people are talking about going back to house churches, Yep. Um, I don't they, know.
0: they're talking about it but you look around like like we're in a decent-sized city that the churches are i mean there, there are they're campuses now from new orleans in our city there's a campus from hattiesburg in our city there's a campus from our city in wiggins up the road and in ocean springs there's one from new orleans over it's yep. and you look at the bigger cities and it's just campuses everywhere and they're growing they're doing yeah. incredible things, and I think what they've figured out is we would plant churches, but we don't trust that we'll have the leadership to keep those churches going, so we're going to retain control over them, and as long as we can retain control, we can keep them doing great and growing and everything. But that, that model is going to blow up at some point, too,
2: because
0: yeah. um, we're all numbers-based.
2: Yeah. Well, small and groups, and groups, too. That was the other part. Yeah. Small yeah.
0: groups are a big part, but Sunday school used to be... <laughs> Yeah, it's it's kind of neat. Hey, we did small groups. How groundbreaking we are! And yeah. and people that went to church like a hundred years ago are going, whoa,
1: <laughs> we did small
0: groups a hundred years ago.
1: It's called semantics. <laughs> but I, I think you know because the the what we're talking about in this reconciling grace is leadership, and and I think when we say yeah. leadership, it's the ability to be able to change with the times while keeping a deep faith grasp. And and in my estimation, over the years, we get so involved with the bells and buzzers that we forget that there's deeper life issues there. And and my thing is, and I always have taken a beating on this amongst my group of ministers, is we've lost the gift of creating relationships that are meant to dig deep disciples because we're so busy with the bells and the buzzers and we're so busy trying to look like a coffee shop that I think we've lost that ability as leaders to see that. I think my greatest complaint has always been, I believe good leaders understand that the church is organic and that the church has a variety of different people who are gifted in different ways to do different ministries, which you can observe all through scripture. And I don't think our leadership of today totally grasp that reality.
2: I think we need to be adaptable. I think you you almost used that word, Don, but I think that that's kind of what you were getting at, adaptable. And that reminds me of the scripture. As I think of Paul, the apostle, if you look at the book of Acts, Generally speaking, the the from Acts chapter one, verse one to the end of the book took give or take 30 years. Hey, we've been talking about how his ministry changed in 30 years. I just now realized that there was that connection there. How did it change for Paul in those 30 years? Well, I don't think the culture changed as much in 30 years for him, but look at how many different cultures he went through through his evangelism and and all the different things that he dealt with. And I'm looking at 1 Corinthians uh, 9 uh, verses 21 through 23, um, where he's talking about to those not having the law, I became like one having the law, though I'm not free from God's law, but I'm under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. And here's the key. I have become all things to all people, so that by all possible means, I might save everybody. No, some. Hmm. Some and that's the thing is, we we I think we keep trying to find the be all end all program. The be all end all is it going to be about church growth, or is it going to be about evangelism, or is it going to be about seeker friendly, or whatever? And we need to be able to adapt. I think, can I ask a question though? Sure, why not? In, in,
0: in Paul's day, <laughs> if somebody in the church in Corinth was unhappy with their pastor, what would they do?
2: They'd probably leave.
0: Do you think they'd leave and just go to the next church down the road?
2: Well, I mean, we have we have visions of not so much next church down the road, but but Paul discussed some of those things. That in, was on mission trips. Right. But I'm saying, but he discussed some of the things in, in First Corinthians. We talked about he's getting reports about some say I follow Paul, others say I follow Apollos, others That's, say others say um, I follow Cephas, Peter, whatever. Um, and, and I like to say it was the real spiritual ones who say I follow Christ. They they follow them, but are they pastors? Because Paul wasn't a pastor. Well, you know, we don't really know for sure if he was the pastor. Well, what,
0: what I go through is I, I, I just preached through this, the seven churches of Revelation. And you know what Jesus told him? If uh, if you can't change your church, do you know what he told him? He I'll didn't say leave. Yeah. He said, just stay faithful then. Yeah. Today Today, pastors are so scared that they're going to lose somebody to the next church down the road that we orient our whole message and everything else to those people that we may lose. It's just, I don't know. I I wonder sometimes if the hardship we're facing in the American church is by God's design because we've messed up the structure so much. But I don't know. We'll keep going after numbers.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that there's a lot of a lot of different uh factors involved. And um, you know, I I I'm reminded of the story, Josh, just because of what you said i i was it was a story it was in a sermon i can't even remember who preached it i think i was just visiting at a church one time and this 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 pastor was preaching and he was talking about how he had been pastoring a church and that there was one guy there who was like you know had been there forever and he was a great giver of the church but he would just occasionally throw the tantrum and decide he was going to leave mm-hmm. and um and the pastor said you know this happened another time and he was on his way over to go see this guy again, to try to talk about leaving. And as he says, I'm on my way in the car and I'm praying, God, I, I thought that you told me that you are going to take my troubles away. That's so I stayed at this church. He goes, <laughs> well, I do, but you keep going to get him back. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, so, I, you know, as, as yeah. it's, it's all different. You know, we all have, we're all human. That's the problem. Yeah. I hate to lose one person. But yeah. the truth is, It'll happen. Because yeah, but in
0: the in the in the sixties and seventies, people didn't leave churches like they do now, though. Did they?
2: Right. Well, we're consumer driven today, though. We yeah. really
0: are. Back and back then, they would they would fight with the pastor, yeah. <laughs> and they would say something like, uh, "I'm going to outlast you
1: here."
2: And they've been here for
1: almost 30
2: years. (laughs) Well, so I guess the question goes back to has leadership changed? And when we're talking leadership, is it pastoral? Is it district? Is it denominational? Um, yes, but how much of that has been because it's been culture? How much has it been because you know it's just the way things go? Is it just the fact that things change? You know, I, I like to say the only thing that doesn't change is that things change. And the Bible. Right, well, (laughs) Jesus Christ is and forever. That's in the Bible. We know that. So, um, but you know, if if, I like to use the illustration, if you have a nice white post sitting out or a nice white um, fence sitting out in front of your church, and you don't do anything to that fence uh, uh, in ten years, it's not going to look the same as it did ten years ago. Yeah, Yeah. you have to keep it up. You have to maintain it. So, anyway. Well, so what's the answer, Josh? As as to how his leadership changed? What do you think? I, I, has it changed?
0: I, I would say no, it hasn't. We're still chasing the same things we always chase. It's just cultures change, so we look different. That, that's I I think that's where I go with it. Um, so I don't know. I don't know. Um,
2: maybe, maybe the problem is that it's all we're all fallible human beings trying to uh, lead fallible churches in well.
0: I, I, I hope the answer is is that we all want Jesus to be known. Yes. And we're frustrated by the system that we've created. We're frustrated by the system of the world in mm-hmm. that what we want is not so easily and straightforwardly achievable. Yeah. Um,
2: I think that sums it, it up really well, yeah.
0: Yeah. I, I just... I don't know. I, I somebody in my family was a pastor in the Southern Baptist Convention. The day he retired, he a couple of weeks later, he said, "You know what? I probably wasn't called to what I did my whole career." <laughs> <laughs> and and I, I don't want to. And and I I don't know that that's true. But ministry beats you up for a long time, and some people just thrive in that. And I I just don't want to be. I don't know numbers. Growth strategies, all that stuff. It never brings out the, the best in me, at least. And I, I just, you know, it's not why I got into ministry. But at the same time, if you want to run a church that meets its community and, and, and does anything, I don't know. It's a necessary evil, I guess.
2: Well, what I hear from you, Josh, is, is what I believe is your heart is saying. And I think it probably goes for all three of us. We want people to know Jesus. We want him. We want them to know Him in a meaningful way, a deep way. Yeah. We want. We want people to know Jesus and know that Jesus is the way um, to people, and that's what our heart is. And what happens is, it's the it's the stuff that gets in the way.
0: <laughs> We're
2: yeah
0: yeah. So, well, I don't know. I think it's been... we've authored a lot of the stuff, but go ahead.
2: Sure, we have. Sure, we have. And that's what I think. We we there's just so much stuff out there. We we get we complicate things. We uh, we go for easy wins. I think too. Yeah, we do. We complicate things and go for easy wins. That's the thing. Hey, we want we want this. We go for the low hanging fruit a lot of times. Yeah. Um. And and hey, that's a win. Hey, we got more. We got more people. That's great.
0: And then the next guy going to have to clean it up.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> well, Don, Don, you got thirty years of stuff. The next guy is going to have to clean up. <laughs>
1: And none of it's normal.
2: (laughs) (laughs) You've been sitting back there now for about the past five minutes or so, I haven't said much. Anything else you want to add?
1: No, I just, I know we have to close. I, I think the most important part in my years of serving is if you are in a ministry where you need to do something contrary to your leadership, but you know it'll be a blessing, do it. Because sometimes leadership means you have to take the lead out and do something that is more important than what leaders say. And I had one leader basically tell me I had to do something in life of the church. I said, no, because I I know Christ is more important than what you wish. And uh, five years later, he came back and apologized because it turned out I was right. Leadership means sometimes going contrary to the current and watching Jesus be blessed. And I realize that's controversial, but I'm Scotch, so I'm allowed.
2: <laughs> well, I thank you for that, uh, for that Don. And uh, I thank both of you guys for your faithfulness and for your hearts. Because, again, I, I know you guys, and I know for me, uh, we, we want to see Jesus glorified. We want to see people come to know him. And that's why part of why we're doing this. I hope that's the main reason why we're doing this here on Reconciling Grace is so people will will hear these these podcasts and come to know him if they don't know him already. And if they do know him, they get to know him in a more deep way. So I think it's about time that we start signing off. So for Pastor Mac, that's P. Mac, Don McDonald, pastor of Danforth Reformed Church, Danforth, Illinois. And for Josh Kugel, pastor of First Baptist Church Lyman in Gulfport, Mississippi. This is Pete Becky, Associate Pastor for Christway Community Church in Pleasantville, Ohio. And Lord willing, we'll see you next time for another episode of Reconciling Grace. This has been
0: Reconciling Grace. If you have a comment or a question for our panel, or if you would like to invite one or more of our panelists to share with your church or group, send an email to rg at faithandfriendsradio.com. And thank you for listening to Reconciling Grace.